0: Is that working at the back there? The microphone, you can tell I don't normally use this, I was struggling down there. Well, well thank you, thank you for having me here and uh, it is a pleasure to come and share God's Word and though many of you won't know the brothers and sisters at Thurliston, I do bring their love and greetings to you because we are the Church of Christ, aren't we? Brothers and sisters together and uh, I do pray that God uses His Word today to bless you, to encourage you, maybe to convict you. Uh, because that's what his word is able to do, and may it bring eternal fruit. Shall we just pray that God may bless us by his spirit? Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of just being gathered with your people. Thank you for fellowship in the living, reigning Jesus Christ. Thank you that he lives today. Thank you that he lives within our hearts if we've been born from above. Thank you that he's coming again. And forever we shall reign with him, sharing his inheritance, sharing his glory. We who are worms, we who are sinners, whom Christ Jesus came to save. And Father, we're weak, we're frail. Lord, we've, we've looked at the fruit of the Spirit and we acknowledge that there's not a day of our lives where in our own strength we've ever kept any of those fruits and borne them. But by your Spirit we can. And we recognize that it is the Lord Jesus who was the one who fulfilled all the fruit of the Spirit. He is the one who is righteous. He's our confidence today. And he's our joy as we stand before the throne and approach boldly. Father, you love your people and you've given us your word. And so we ask and pray that you would feed us now. Feed us on the living bread. And may we finish on Christ. He must be here because if he's absent, there is no light, there is no life. So may we see Jesus. We pray this in his precious name, Father. Amen. Well, it seemed appropriate as I was considering what to bring this morning uh, that we would look at that lovely prophecy, and not just lovely, that's a very sort of modern worldly term, isn't it lovely? This awesome promise of God that He would send Emmanuel. Of course, we know at Christmas time, there's that lovely song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We've been hearing from Chris at the notices of the Christmas services. What's important is with all these flyers and that, that we don't miss the point, that we need to be praying for God to once again remind us and refresh us in the glory of Emmanuel, the incarnation of the Son of God. And that people who may come in here or people that you may meet out there, that their eyes are open to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want to be seeing this morning. Of course, in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 1, we read of the angel's announcement to Joseph. Joseph, who was considering putting Mary, his wife or wife-to-be, away quietly. He'd heard the news that she was to bear a child. He was disturbed by this. He was a godly man, and he was a loving man. He knew he couldn't marry Mary if she'd been with another man but he wanted to quietly put her away. And of course, God was in control here. And an angel was sent, and Joseph had this, this dream where he was told that that one that was in Mary's womb was, would be the son of God, and that they would call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And it's interesting that Matthew then goes on with the Holy Spirit's commentary on what's going on there. So, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord. Notice that Chris read from Isaiah 7 this morning, from Isaiah. Isaiah spoke these words to Ahaz, but it was the Lord, wasn't it? Isaiah was the channel, he was the vessel. It was God's word. Saying this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, what I want us to do is not take that verse and jump straight to Matthew's gospel. It was given in a context, wasn't it? It was given in a time, it was given to a certain king of Judah and to the people of Judah in the circumstances in which they found themselves in. And it's really important that that's where we start. In the context that a first century Jew would understand. Now I presume most of you are from Coventry. If you're not, you know, we're all from this one world. But we, we're not most, I don't believe, first century Jews. If you are, you're very old and you're doing very well. We wouldn't understand as we come, as we hear and read Matthew's gospel, as a first century Jew would. We need to put ourselves in their minds. As, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me? In its context. And that's what I want us to do. These were the days of Ahaz. It's interesting, sometimes you don't get the nuances from the Hebrew. God, in His Word, describes him as this king, Ahaz. You already see that Ahaz is not held in high esteem by the Lord. He had a godly father. Jotham was his father. Um, He was a man who followed the Lord, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord Himself. But he failed as king to lead God's people in godliness. We read that the people acted corruptly. He didn't do what his his job title was to shepherd God's people and to keep them from sin. Now, his son Ahaz went further. He swam with the tide. He didn't just restrain the people's corruption, he was corrupt. He was one of the sheep following, he was one of the fish swimming with the ungodliness of God's uh, people of Judah at that time. In fact, he he became worse. He encouraged the moral decline of the nation of Judah. We read, uh, and if you want to read more of the facts of the story, the narrative, you can look at 2 Kings 16 or 2 Chronicles 28. And I encourage you to do that because you see the flesh that sits around Isaiah 7. He burned incense under every green tree. Now, if you don't really know what that means, it, number one, it means he was committing idolatry. But even worse than that, what was involved under every green tree was the immoral practice of worshipping these idols, where you would have cult prostitutes, male and female. It would be drunkenness. You now, you think if you were read to, to read the Daily Mail or some tabloid newspaper today and you read of some celebrity who's involved in orgies and things like that, even, even a worldly person struggles with the concept of that, don't they? Well, that was Judah at this time. And this was the king of Judah at this time who was involved in this. We read that he sacrificed his children to pagan deities. It was well known that outside Jerusalem there was a place called the, the Valley of Hinnom and that's where you get the name Gehenna, of course, which leads to the picture of hell that Christ uses. There was a, an unceasing furnace that was burning there to a God called Moloch and many of the kings of Judah would go and sacrifice their children to that God and put them into the fire seeking their own good he corrupted the worship of the living God. It's, 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 it's ironic, but it's also utterly uh, foolish that when the, the king of Assyria, who uh, for a period of time helped the king of Judah, King, king Ahaz, he, he had uh, a time when he was up in Assyria and he saw the, the altar that they had, this great golden altar. And Ahaz sent back to Uriah the priest with all the dimensions and all the way that that altar was made. And he said, I want you to replace God's bronze altar, the one that he'd given commands to Moses to make and fashion the way that God had designed it. And I want you to put this splendid great golden altar in its place. And the bronze altar is for when I want to see God. Can you see the arrogance that ungodliness brings? You know, I'm certainly not someone who says that God has given us Uh, exact instructions as to how every chapel and church ought to be. If that was the case, the Earlison Chapel is very, very different to what Holbrook's church looks like. But with his people, Israel, he'd given them precise instructions. God wants to be worshipped the way that he desires to be worshipped. And Ahaz had replaced the altar. He closed the temple to the people of God. The summary we have in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 6. These people refused the waters of Shiloh, that flow softly. They refused the goodness of God. You know, we can do that as Christians, can't we? We've experienced the goodness of God. If, If you're not a Christian this morning, the fact that you're breathing is the goodness of God. The fact that you can see me, you may not like the look of me, but your eyes are testifying to the goodness of God. Every day, men and women, boys and girls, are experiencing the goodness of God and his grace towards us. And yet so many times I put my hand up as a Christian who's experienced the grace and mercy of my creator every day. And yet so many times the Holy Spirit would have to come to me and say, You've forsaken the waters of Shiloh today, Pete. You've gone to the world today. You've found your satisfaction in things that have grieved the Holy Spirit today. This is what summed up Judah. Sadly, this is what sums up many professing churches today. And this is certainly what summed up King Ahaz. It's very easy for us to point the finger out there at the world. We think of children being sacrificed to the god Molech. Immediately our minds turn to abortion. And I'd be the first to stand in the queue and to say it's wicked when people choose to prefer themselves. I I even read this advert last Christmas this Christmas, give the gift of choice to one of your loved ones with a five-pound month, five monthly donation. If I told you that that was an advert for Pass, one of the greatest abortion providers in the UK, that's shocking, isn't it? Give the gift of choice to one of your loved ones. Well, I have four children who I love very, very dearfully, dearly. I want to give them the gift of choice. It's very easy though for us to to look out these windows and think we're very safe, we're very godly. But the Holy Spirit wants to pierce our hearts, doesn't he? God's word is always looking within us, in our minds, in our hearts, in our motives. God is the one who searches the hearts. There are times where we can come into God's house on a Lord's day and we can pervert the worship within. We can sing words that are vain and are not worshipping the Lord. Well, as we get into the text of Isaiah 7, the first thing that we notice with Ahaz as the Lord deals with him is he receives a patient rebuke, a patient rebuke. The, the, The whole of Scripture is filled with times where the Lord speaks about chastising his people in love. As a father chastises their child, it's actually an evidence of the love of God. You imagine as your children get older, mine are are 10 and under, perhaps they haven't reached the stage where you think they're going out into the world and being tempted to do all the things that we think of. Yet would I be a good father if they begin to go astray? They begin to hurt others and hurt themselves. And I just say, well no, because I love them, I'll just let them do what they want. That's the evidence of my love. Well, that's not real love, is it? That's not godly love. Love protects. Love understands that our children, just like I was, are full, as the Bible says, of foolishness. And we have to discipline and train. Well, the Lord sends a patient rebuke. In verse 1, we read of these two kings, Rezin, the king of Syria, and uh, Pekah, the name, the king of Israel. It's interesting that God doesn't regard Pekah very much because after that, he just calls him that son of Remaliah. It doesn't have tones of you know, great confidence in the man, does it? But these two kings come and they seek to uh, assault and besiege the city of Jerusalem, which of course is Ahaz's cap- capital. They fail to take Jerusalem. But even before this has happened, God has already touched Ahaz's kingdom. They've lost territory to the Edomites and the the Philistines. He's lost family in a battle with the Ephraimites. His own son is killed by one of their champions and his prime minister. And though this first attack of Rezin and Pekah fails, we read in verse 2 that they're stirring up again. You know, Ahaz has perhaps wiped his brow and thought, well, I've got a reprieve. I'm okay. Maybe it wasn't God chastising me. No, the Lord makes it very clear. And he hears again of these kings stirring up and gathering their forces around his borders. You think of what's happening at the moment in Eastern Europe, in Poland and Belarus. And you think of all the Russian armaments around the borders of Ukraine. And you hear all the lies. And of course, we read through it all of course we know that there's the selfishness of politicians that's going on here but God is using these two kings because God cares for Ahaz even in his ungodliness God cares for Judah even in their immorality it is a rebuke but it's a patient one it's to drive them back to him and we read when Ahaz hears and all of the people of Judah in verse, uh, in verse 2 that these are coming up, it says that their hearts were moved as the trees of the wood in the wind. You know, you've all had times, haven't you, in life, sometimes it's a very little thing, sometimes they're great things, where your heart is moved, you're stirred. And this is talking about fear, real fear. I remember when I played rugby as a young man, it was a strange concoction because I, wanted, I was desperate to play rugby. But then when I was coming out onto the pitch to play, I was absolutely terrified at the same time. We all know what fear feels like when you're moved. Have you ever seen trees when they're moved by the wind? We go to camp in North Wales. I know that many years you as a church went to the, the site at Cleese Andreas. And I always notice the trees as I drive along the coast road when they're hit from the, uh, the the coastal winds, and you see how they've grown, they grow facing inland, because all of their life they've known the battering of these winds. But the Christian shouldn't be one who is moved like the trees in the wind. It's interesting that it's the absence of the grace and peace of God there that, when they hear the bad news, immediately their hearts go into turmoil. I wonder as you sit here today, I'm pretty sure that there will be Christians here today, you're facing turmoil, you're facing trouble. Does your heart get moved so easily or is it steadfast trusting in the Lord? Now don't get me wrong, i would be the first to say every week there are things that come to trouble me and there are times when I fail to trust the Lord and I let my heart be moved like a tree in the wind. That we can trust in God. The Psalms are filled with this poor man who cried out and the Lord heard him and delivered him out of all of his fears. Has God ever let any of you down? Has he ever failed us? No, he hasn't. But even in this rebuke, even as these kings gathering, he's reminding them, he's showing them, my peace isn't here with you. My strength isn't there right now. My rest. Oh, we love to sing that that hymn, it is well with my soul. How many godly people have you looked up to in your life when you've seen them going through physical or family or financial or whatever trial it may be and you see them, they're they're worried, their bodies are racked, everything seems to be falling apart yet you see them on the Lord's day and they shake their hand and say, all is well brother, all is well sister. Keep rejoicing in the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit's presence. That's the grace of God at work. But what amazes us is we read that Ahaz, in the time of his distress, he became increasingly unfaithful to the Lord. This gentle rebuke of the Lord drives Ahaz further away. He becomes increasingly unfaithful and he turns, instead of to the Lord, to an earthly power, to the king of Assyria. I mean, it's a great name, isn't it? Tiglath-Pileser. I noticed that none of the kids were called Tiglath-Pileser. And that's probably sensible as a parent, okay? Although some of the modern names we have today, I think are, are probably just as good. But it, Ahaz takes the silver and the gold from the temple of God. No, it, it's, it smacks in the face, doesn't it? I mean, the, the illustration that's, that's jumping up from the page is so stark. He goes to the temple of God. The same temple... That his son Hezekiah, in the generation to follow, will come and prostrate his face before him as the Assyrians are coming and besieging Jerusalem. His son goes to the temple to plead with God. The father goes to the temple to ransack it, to go and trust in an earthly power. He trusts in a mere mortal. And it's interesting, we read in the narrative, he says to Tiglath Pileser, I am your servant. And your son, save me. Could you imagine as the Lord on his throne, God in all his majesty and power and love towards his people, hears those utterly foolish and grievous words? I'm your servant to a man, I'm your son. You know, isn't that what I have to say, many particularly of the mainline denominations are saying to the world today. We're your servant, government. We're your servant, media. We're your children. What do you want us to say? What do you want us to preach? What do you want us to practice as a church? And God in heaven, who's given us his word, is grieved at the utter foolishness, but above all, at the dishonour that's brought to him. What do we say to the world when we go cap in hand to them? And then we sing, behold our God seated on his throne. And they say, what God? What throne? No, it's the Christian who goes through the deep trials and the struggles and even in our own failings and instead of going cap in hand to the world and trusting in them, we turn to the living God. And we say, I will wait upon the Lord and he will strengthen my heart. Yes, wait upon the Lord. Ahaz, in his foolishness, rejects the Lord's help. But then, God in his long-suffering, graciously reaches out to him. In verse 3, he sends Isaiah. He commands him, Isaiah is in Jerusalem. He's present there with Ahaz. Ahaz could go any time to Isaiah, but God in his long-suffering sends him to the king. Of course, Isaiah's name means Yahweh, or Jehovah, is salvation. The very fact that Ahaz, as he's outside the city, where we read he's at at the upper springs of Gihon, that as he sees Isaiah coming, ah, here comes Yahweh, is salvation. His very name should be speaking to the king and reminding him It's very interesting, isn't it? We think that it was the prophet's privilege to go to royalty. When actually, it was the royalty's privilege to have access to God's wisdom. Have you ever ever read 1 Kings 18, the famous passage of Elijah coming into the presence of Ahab? And there is nothing in Elijah that gives any pomp or circumstance before this wicked king. He just says, before God whom I stand. I I was so encouraged, I do like history, generally speaking, and I remember reading about Hugh Latimer, a great preacher, and he was given the opportunity to preach more than once before Henry VIII. Now, you don't need to know your history book to know about Henry VIII. Henry VIII believed in God, but he was not a godly man. And it's interesting, Hugh Latimer, when he had opportunity to preach before the king, Preach the gospel clear and plain. And he was to preach the next Lord's Day in the royal chapel. And the king's advisors who liked Hugh Latimer came up to him and said, look, before you preach today, will you just apologize to the king? Will you just sort of, you know, try and put things right? He stands up in the pulpit and he declares at the very beginning of his sermon that he stands before a greater king, and he proceeds to preach the gospel. And it's very interesting that Henry VIII trusted Hugh Latimer more than most other people. He didn't chop off his head, he didn't put him in prison, because he knew here was a man who fears God. And he respected that honour that was brought to God. Well, Isaiah comes, and uh, where he meets him is really important. Again, we read from uh, uh, Isaiah chapter 8 and that verse where the Lord says to his people you've forsaken the waters of Shiloah and King Ahaz is standing at that very spot where he is should be speaking to him who's coming to him should be speaking to him God isn't whispering to King Ahaz he's not giving little thoughts or visions that maybe sort of uh, 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 by osmosis are, are trickling into his mind No, the Lord is putting a banner in front of King Ahaz. He's sounding a trumpet to him and he's making it very, very, very clear that he has a message for him. How gracious God is. It was lovely to pray with Gary before the service and he spoke about, if the Lord regards iniquity, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Who of us could stand now how many of us come into the presence of God that's what we've that's what we've desired to do this morning isn't it if you're a christian to come together into the presence of God not because we're in a church but by the holy spirit and through the precious blood and righteousness of jesus and that's a thrilling thing but it's only possible because god does not regard our iniquity he's dealt with it at the cross He regarded it there, and his son became that sin and bore it and paid its penalty so that we could be free to be called the children of God. There's this gracious reaching out, and as Isaiah comes to Ahaz, he doesn't just stand there. It's not just a word picture, and Ahaz has got to scratch his head and say, What is God trying to say to me here? Isaiah brings a divine report. You know, I hope today that when you were praying for me, if you were praying for me, that your desire was, God, may you speak. Use the channel and you speak. In verse four, Isaiah comes and, and really this is a, a, a shout to Ahaz. Take heed and be quiet. You can imagine the king pacing. I'm not much of a pacing preacher. Some people go everywhere. You can, you can imagine him pacing around this pool. He doesn't know what to do. His generals are there trying to give him advice about how to deal with these invading armies. Perhaps there are some of the chief priests who are corrupt and and they're advising him as they did King Ahab. Remember when he said, should we go up to fight? And they're all, oh yes, King Ahab, God is with you. You're a wonderful king. And then Micaiah comes and sarcastically says, oh yes, go on, King Ahab, you know, you'll win. Everything will be great. And he says, how many times have I told you that you only speak God's word? And he says, if you go up, you will not return. And here's the agitated king. And Isaiah has to come and almost give him a verbal slap around the face. Take heed, be quiet. Like Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. Come on, King Ahaz. Come on, brothers and sisters. Yes, there's trouble in the world, but who created the world? Yes, there's difficulties with people, but who holds them in the palm of his hand? Who raises princes and puts them down? Who? What's your answer in your heart? It's God that does that. It's him. And when God speaks, as the scripture says, let all the earth keep silence. All the advisors, all the generals, Isaiah isn't coming along and joining the end of the queue. God has sent him. And King Ahaz is to listen for his own good. God has shouted, but then he speaks softly. Isaiah says, Do not fear or be faint-hearted. You know, can you imagine what Isaiah is feeling right now? I can imagine humanly speaking, Isaiah wants to go up to King Ahab Ahaz and slap him round the face and give him a right to raid and shout at him and humble him and make him quake like a little child. This is the same Isaiah who has seen a vision of God. The same Isaiah who, as he heard the angels, the seraphim, crying, holy, 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 is the Lord God Almighty. He said that he's a a man of unclean lips and dwells among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah knows this, that if God was to reveal himself in his glory and holiness, right there at the spring of Gihon, Ahaz would fall flat on his face and he wouldn't dare get up again. But he doesn't. God has given him a message. It's not for Isaiah to choose the means and the mode. And actually, isn't it wonderful that though it's God who's most grieved, it's him who is most merciful. One of my favourite hymns, I had it at my baptism, was I Will Sing the Wondrous Story. And the, the, the second verse says, I was lost, but Jesus found me. Found the sheep that went astray. Threw his loving arms around me and drew me back into his way. You know, it's one thing. For, for the Lord, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. I, I believe that. But I do, I, I know in my own testimony, I, I was a sheep that was, in one sense, I knew it all. I was brought up in a Christian home. I knew what was right. I knew what was wrong. But I chose to go away from the Lord. I chose to fulfill the lusts of my heart. And still he came after me. That's the Lord. That's his mercy. If you're not a Christian today, that's the God that is preached. That's the God of the Bible. He's offended by our sin more than anybody else in the universe. It grieves him. It angers him. Because it's foolish and it's wicked. And yet he's the one who sent his son into the world to bring us back to him. And not just to set us free like prisoners out of a jail, but to raise us up and to make us children with God. To be heirs of the kingdom of God. That's why it's called the good news, isn't it? That's why it's God's good news. And Isaiah comes to Ahaz. And he says, Do not fear or be faint hearted. Number one, what you currently fear most will pass away. In verse four, resin and pica, these two kings that are causing such terror, God says they're like smoking stubs. I spoke about the campsite, and I do like a campfire. It's rare that I sit around one. But I remember, you know, when in, in younger days as a teenager, wanting to stay up all night and just sit and watch the fire and you see those branches that weren't thrown on in the heat and they're just like a little stub just smoking a little bit of heat on them but you look at them and there's no fear it's not like standing in front of a raging bonfire God says these kings they're like stubs very soon they'll be out and then he says secondly what you do not fear you ought to Verse 17, the very people that Ahaz is going to for support and for help, God says in chapter 8 as well, they will come down, and he uses the river of Euphrates, which is where Assyria was, they will flow down over your kingdom. And of course, we read about Sennacherib. And on the very spot where Isaiah is talking to Ahaz, a generation later, a man called the Rabshakeh, will be shaking his fist at Jerusalem and mocking the people of God and saying, look, we'll even give you horses if you've got men to put on them. And Isaiah says, you should be fearing what at the moment you're trusting. But then there's a gentle reminder. You see, God didn't just send Isaiah. He said, I want you to take someone with you. Take your son called Shear Jashub with you. Isn't that interesting? Take your boy. Now, Ahaz knows the prophet and he would know the name of the prophet's son. And of course, being the Old Testament, quite often the prophets who had children, Hosea was one as well, their names were given by God. And his name means this a remnant shall return. A remnant shall return. So, as Ahaz hears Isaiah and he sees by his side his boy. A remnant shall return. God is reminding him of two things. Number one, there will always be a remnant. You know, we, I think, uh, we, we're at the moment, every other week, we're praying for revival on Zoom. Now, if God chooses to give revival or not, that's in his good will or not. But so often you hear Christians who are tearing their hair out saying, the United Kingdom, there's going to be no church. There's no way we can stand. Everything is going in the way of Satan. And the, well, of course, you know, Satan has his day here and there, but he's already defeated. The Lord Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will always be a remnant. In the days of the Reformation, great darkness but after darkness, light. God had his people and he will always have his people. But then the second prompt is that there needs to be a return. A remnant shall return. You know, there's that lovely Bible word. It's, it's, it's full of the grace of God and it's called repentance. Are you someone every day as a Christian who is repenting? Of your sin and turning to the Lord and returning to the Lord. When you've been out in the world, you return to the Lord. When you've sinned, you return to the Lord. When you've failed, you return to the Lord. And that little boy's presence is saying to King Ahaz, open the temple, get rid of the golden altar, stop all of the cult cool prostitution. Be holy, for I am holy. Return unto the Lord, and I will build you up. That's what that little boy is saying to him. And now Ahaz's foolishness sadly turns to wickedness because there's a wicked refusal. God has has been more than gracious, and Ahaz is refusing to listen And then we read in verse 10, moreover. You know, you think by now, if I was the Lord, I'd have picked up Ahaz and chucked him away. But he comes, moreover, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And he says in verse 11, ask a sign from the Lord your God. Ask for a sign, look Ahaz, if you want something more, if the prophet is not enough, if his son is not enough, if this wonderful spring that reminds you of all the goodness and life that I've given to you as a nation is not enough, ask me your own sign. And notice the jaw-dropping arrogance of King Ahaz. Arrogance disguised as innocence. Well, I, I can't test the Lord. I can't do this. And in verse 13, Isaiah says to him, It's one thing for you to weary men, but to weary God. You know, there is, is there someone here today, and you're using it as an excuse, you're well, well, there's this or there's that. I want to see God do that, or I want to before I believe. God is so gracious, but he is God. And he is to be feared. And if you're sitting here today and it's just excuses that you use to not come humbly before the Lord Jesus Christ, that excuse is not enough when you stand before him. Because it's one thing perhaps to weary men. You may know people in this church and you know the truth. You believe in God. You believe the gospel. And you know there are people praying for you. You know what you need but you refuse to come. It's one thing to weary men, but to weary the living God as he graciously every day is offering to you eternal life and forgiveness of sins and a relationship with him. There will come a day where God will say, enough. And you know, it, it, it's a challenge that we all need to hold on to that Ahaz, after all of this, When he died, he was buried in the city of Jerusalem. But we read this. They did not bury him with his fathers. Now you can say, well, that's just a piece of history. But God's word is always speaking. And it's very, very clear that even the ungodly people of Judah recognized this man was not like his father David. He's not going to experience the goodness of the Lord forever and ever As Psalm 23 tells us. And let me with love say to you now, if you're not Christ, there may come a day where you will be like Ahaz. God has come and he's been so gracious to you. But you'll pass from this life and you will not be with David. You will not be with Daniel. You will not be with Moses. You will not be with the brothers and sisters in this church. God will say to you, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I came to you. I entreated you. I said, Come to me. Repent of your sin. But you wouldn't. And sadly, Ahaz, in his foolishness, rejected the entreaties of the Lord. You know, Isaiah said, Ask any sign. If you were to go out onto the streets and to say, what sign do you need to believe in God? What sign do you need to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the Saviour of you from your sin? I reckon nine times out of ten, someone will say, if he would only appear. If God were to appear in front of me, I'll believe. And God says to Ahaz, I will give you a sign. He says the Lord himself will give you a sign. Not not Rezim, not Pika, not Tiglath Pileser. They're just men. They'll come and they'll go. You don't need a sign from Boris Johnson or Joe Biden. You don't need a sign from uh, some professor at university to convince you of the reality of God. No, God himself, the Adonai, the sovereign almighty God says, I'll give you a sign. Behold, now, that word is not, behold is an old word for, it's more of a command to look. It's not a, hey, look over here. It's more of a, hey, look over here. Look at this. There is something of an unusual importance that you need to pay attention to right now. The virgin shall conceive. The virgin. Now, I have four children. They were not born of a virgin. The natural process of how God created life and how we are to procreate is how all of us were born here today. It's supernatural because God ordained it. But it's in the natural order of life. But God says, no, a virgin shall conceive, a lady who has not known a man. And for any skeptics out there, and there always will be skeptics, Martin Luther said this, I'll give a 100 gulden to anyone who could show that alma, the Hebrew word for virgin, means a married woman because you get some numpties who'll come on and say well no it means a married woman or it means no it doesn't God is making it clear a virgin shall conceive and bear a son there's, no, there's not a 50-50 chance that it might be a daughter and God might have to change his plans no God will give a son and his name will be called Emmanuel God with us God gave a sign. God has given a sign to you and to me that he is gracious, that he is ready to forgive. Jesus came to save sinners, not the saved, not not the good, not the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Are there any Christians here today who said you you made it with God because you suddenly attained righteousness or goodness? Praise God, no, because we're all sinners. And Jesus is the friend of such. He came to seek and to save the lost. And God in this promise to Ahaz was reaching forward in time 700 years and he was reaching forward in time 2,700 years to you today and to say, I've given you a sign. My son was born. Not just a prophet, though he is the great prophet. Not just a king like King David, he's the great king not just a priest who can represent our sin in an earthly level but can't bring us to be right with God. No, he's the great high priest who would die on the cross making himself the sacrifice for sin. His blood shed so that you you and I could be forgiven and rising from the dead to become a life-giving spirit. You know, you're looking at a man today who will never die. For all, Walt Disney wanted to freeze his body so that he'll live forever, so that one day a scientist might be able to wake him up and give him eternal life. It won't happen. But Jesus said to Martha near the graveside of Lazarus, He who lives and believes on me shall never die this body I'm actually quite glad even as a 35 year old that this flesh will be gone but as the inward man is, the outward man is perishing as Paul said the inward man is being renewed day by day the Bible says for those who have come to God in repentance and faith it's the path of the just it describes it as it's like the shining light that grows brighter until the perfect day when Jesus comes again this chapel building will not be here Thurston Chapel will not exist and Christ will make all things new again and all of his people who have come humbly and bowed the knee and said I believe in Emmanuel, I believe that God is gracious to me a sinner, I receive that life they'll be in that new creation a land of righteousness Where there is no more troubling of our hearts and of our minds with our own failings and foolishness and sin. Now, of course, this prophecy did have a contemporary fulfillment. What happened to Pekah and Rezin? The Assyrians crushed them. What happened to the Assyrians? God sent one angel in one night, and Sennacherib's army was utterly destroyed. God fulfilled his promise. But the greater promise was the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As a Christian this morning, if you're in the place of Ahaz and you need to return, then return today. Repent today. There is grace. Come back to that fountain of living waters that you've rejected for the buckets with holes in in this world that keep falling apart and keep emptying and he will graciously receive you and he will build you up. If you're not a Christian this morning and you know that, you know in your heart if you are or if you're not. If you're still in your sin this morning as I speak to you right now, if you know if today is the day you die, you will not go to be with the Lord. Take both the warning of Ahaz to heart And I plead with you for that. Take it to heart. But also see that God, who should in a moment just destroy this world for the wickedness of our hearts and the wicked things that we have done, yet still the sun is shining. Today is a day of salvation. And God willing, in a minute, this this cloth will be brought off here and you will see bread and wine that pictures what Christ, the Son of God, who didn't deserve death, did for you and for me. His body was broken. Does that not break you? That he hung there naked and ashamed, pierced in his hands and his feet, his head crowned with thorns because of your sin and my sin that should have been dealt with on that cross. But he took the place of the sinner and to see that wonderful wine representing the blood that flowed blood that flowed to wash you clean and it can wash you clean today you may not take of the the emblems today because you feel i don't know where i stand that's right do that let them pass but even right now if today is the day that god is calling you to repent and believe on christ come now Come and take the emblems perhaps for the first time because you know he died for you and you know he rose to justify you before God. We're all the same as Ahaz. We all start there. Where today are you going to finish? As Emmanuel is set before you. God has given us a sign and he gave it to draw us to himself. Let's just pray and then we'll sing our final hymn. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your grace and mercy. Grace and mercy bestowed upon me on all who believe. Lord, we ask and pray that, Lord, you would work in us by your Holy Spirit. Grant saving faith and repentance. Grant renewing and refreshing from above for those who have gone away from you. Lord, thank you for blessing us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Our final hymn we're going to sing is May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day. We're going to remain seated and we'll sing when I survey the wondrous cross.